You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Well, a special good morning to you and uh, uh, a good morning to those who planned to attend church last night and uh, were not able to do that. Um, Like the Toronto Maple Leafs, the power was off here last night. And uh, (laughs) the difference is the power is back on here today and... uh, can't say much about the other. So um, anyways, we're glad that you're here and uh, looking forward to a great time in God's word this morning. Why don't you take your copies of the scriptures and uh, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be looking uh, at verses 9 and 10. That's kind of the jumping point uh, for today. Uh, we will not be going through the text. Normally we just preach through a text. We'll be uh, starting our Easter series next week in Hebrews chapter 10. And for the next few weeks, right through till after Easter, we'll just be going through that text. But Uh, Today, as part of our 5G series, we'll be doing more of a topical message. So if you're taking notes, get ready, because there's going to be lots of scriptures to write down as we think about what it means to be a gracious follower of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a gracious follower of Jesus Christ? The distinctives of an authentic follower. What makes us different? What makes us real? I got some pictures to put up on the screen this morning. Back in the 70s, uh, Coca-Cola had a a thing going on. It was called, It's the Real Thing. It's the Real Thing. It was talking about being authentic. Um, Go to the next picture. Um, It's the Real Thing. It was all over the place. There was a little song, It's the Real Thing. That's why I preach and don't lead worship. But uh, that was their thing. And uh, one more picture, Uh, It's the Real Thing. So what does that mean? What that means is this, 87 cents a bottle is not the real thing. I'm not sure what it is, but it's not the real thing. Well, that's okay, because that's a no-name pop, but for those of you who are Pepsi lovers and are pretty upset about what you're seeing on the screen, it means this isn't the real thing either. It's not authentic. It's not authentic. If you want the real thing, you have to drink Coca-Cola, because Coca-Cola is the real thing. Thing. Now, you understand I don't get a kickback from Coca-Cola for doing this commercial for them this morning. It has nothing to do with that. As a matter of fact, the bar is really pretty low even in that statement because it's not like we're the real pop or we're the rest bad. It's just a thing. All they, they got themselves to being the real thing. It's a pretty lame in and of itself. But what they were claiming is that we're the authentic thing. We're the best thing. We're the thing that you should be going after. And um, so the question for us In our walk with Jesus Christ is, are we the real thing? Are we authentic followers of Jesus Christ? And what would that look like as people would see us walking around this week, as we make our way out of the building today, we go back into our homes, we uh, go back to work this week, or we're on March break. What will people see? It'll go, that guy's authentic. He's a real follower of Jesus Christ. We've got your Bibles open now. I want to stand together as uh, we read uh, some verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So I said, this text really today is just kind of set the table for what we're going to talk about being gracious followers of Jesus Christ. Here's what it says, starting at verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, 
For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. The opportunity to uh, stand in this place holding copies of it that uh, we can read and reread and study to show ourselves approved workers who don't need to be ashamed. Lord, I pray that as we uh, hear your word today, as, as, they hear it, as you hear it spoken, Father, that it would go to ears that are willing to, to um, listen. Minds, Father, with a heart to understand but then, Lord, moving to hearts that have been changed by the grace of God to passionately live out all that you have made us in Jesus Christ. Do your work in your way for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. You can take your seats. Well, as you can see in the context, Paul was asking the Lord um, to remove this thorn in his flesh. And uh, scripture doesn't really say what the thorn in his flesh were. Some people believe it was actually a thorn in his flesh. I probably, I think, I don't know, but I think it was probably his eyesight. Probably on that road to Damascus experience when he saw the bright light and he met the Lord, I think his eyesight was impacted and I don't think it was ever corrected. And three times, three times he asked the Lord, would you fix whatever the thorn is, and the Lord said no. Um, and Paul knew that if he did, he would become conceited, said it right in the text. And so for his own humility and to keep him with him eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, he never had that taken away. But he learned that God's grace would be sufficient for him whatever came, whatever he needed to stand up for, whatever he was called to do, God's grace would be sufficient for him. He could graciously live out his life knowing that God was going with him. He wasn't going on his own. And so we want to kind of dive into three principles today uh, about this to help us on our walk. Uh, here's the first thing. We want to talk about the God of grace. The God of grace. Grace is God's character. He's filled with grace. God is a God who sees the need and meets the need. The word grace means unmerited favor. It's God's giving you what you don't deserve. And it happens all of the time in our lives. Uh, the most obvious time it happened, the most um, overwhelming time it happened was when you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior. Um, but God is a God who is full of unmerited favor giving us what we don't deserve. Look what it says about him. Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Isn't it awesome that we get to go to the throne of God and in Hebrews chapter four, it's, it's, it's described as a throne, a, thorn, excuse me, a throne of grace. It, it's where God's grace just comes from and when we come to him in prayer, when we cry out to him, it's a throne of grace. It's a throne of, I'm giving you what you don't deserve and I keep pouring it out to you. That's the God. That's the God who we serve. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need, in the hardest time, when you just lost a loved one, when you just lost a job, when you don't know what to do. God's grace is poured out from his throne because he is a God of grace. 
John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace. Full of grace. Stop and do a, a little look back at your life, follower of Jesus Christ, and take hold of God's grace. Unmerited favor poured out on you. Uh, John 1.14 goes on, and in John 1.15 and 17, it says this, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from him is fullness. We have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace upon grace poured out in my life, undeserving follower, and yet his grace, his unmerited favor, his you're getting what you don't deserve. That's who God is. It's his character. First Peter 5.10 says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So when we understand our, our desire to be people who are gracious people, we have to understand it's rooted in God's character. It's rooted in who he is. Here's the next thing, God's grace impacting me. So not only is it the characteristic of God, but also God's grace has impacted me. We talked about this a bit last week. I said we were coming back to it. The grace of God to save us. Um, Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into what? Into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In Romans 11, verse 6, it says, it is by, If it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Salvation comes to us as a gift from God. It's a gift of grace. If it's not a gift of grace, then it's works. You have to earn it. You have to deserve it. But we don't earn it and we don't deserve it because it comes by God's grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. It's not from works so that no one can boast, Paul said in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. But before that in Ephesians 2, 4 to 9, he said this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, unmerited favor, undeserved. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. A.W. Tozer said this, the cross is the lightning rod of grace that short circuits God's wrath. A kind of, kind of appropriate uh, quote after the power being out last night, right? But I'll give it to you again. The cross is the lightning rod of grace that short circuits God's wrath to Christ so that only the light of his love remains for the believers. I deserve separation from God in hell. That's what I deserve. 
but God's gift, his grace, was poured out for me in Jesus Christ, who was the only right and the only righteous one who could suffer to pay the price for my sin. And he did. And he offered to me the free gift of eternal life by grace. For by grace you're saved. The most humbling thing a person ever does in their life is when you come to the place of understanding, I can't save myself. Because everything in you says, I'll just work harder. I'll just try more. I can get there on my own. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I'll do it my way. That's what we're all built like that. And when the Lord Jesus Christ intersects our lives, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, and he begins that process to make us alive again. The most humbling thing you will ever do is when you come to the place of, I cannot save myself, I gotta give it all up, and I'm just simply gonna trust in the free gift, the grace that comes in Jesus Christ. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't even want it. And God gave it to you. And you receive the gift. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. No special form you have to fill out. No special words you have to say. You just have to believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. He did what he said he would do. And he came so that you could have life and you could have it abundantly. You get to that place of, oh my goodness, I was lost. I didn't know where I was going. I was a sinner. I couldn't fix it. And Jesus did it all for me. And all I have to do is believe. All you have to do is believe. That's why so many people reject it. It's so simple. And yet it's God's plan. Because you couldn't earn it. And you didn't deserve it, and neither did I. And sitting where you are right today, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, you can do that right in your seat right now. It'll change your life when you trust the Lord. God's grace impacting me is his grace to save, but it's also his grace to serve. Now God gives us grace to serve in Acts 20, 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It's God's grace that's able to build us up. Uh, back in Acts 4.33, it said, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon all of them. In 2 Timothy 2.1, Paul says to Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I said last week, before you get out of bed every morning, do you stop and reflect on the grace of God and what he has accomplished for you in Christ? Do you stop and now seek to live out of the abundance of all that God has done for you? But then do you also look forward into your day and ask God for the grace? As Paul said in 1 Corinthians, my grace is sufficient for you, whether it's the struggle or the hard thing. He gives a whole list at the end of that, at the end of that passage that God's grace will help him through. When you, need, when you leave here today, you're going to need God's grace. Somebody's going to say something to you. Somebody's going to tick you off. Somebody's going to, and are you going to respond like the Lord Jesus Christ would respond? Or are you going to respond in your flesh? You're, you're going to respond in your flesh unless God's grace 
pours out on you because you're going to be on that. Well, they shouldn't have said that to me. I didn't like the way they're treating me. I'm going to get back at them. That's not God's grace. That's your pride. That's who you are. God's grace for the difficult family member, for a spouse who doesn't love the Lord, for a coworker who's just antagonistic against you. God, I can't do this. You're right, you can't. But God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. It's more than enough for whatever you're going to find yourself going through. So our God is a God of grace. God's grace is impacting me. Here's where we dive into the meat of this message for today. God's grace in me impacting others. God's grace in me impacting others. I want to talk about gracious living. What does a grace-filled follower of Jesus Christ, what do we look like? What do we look like? My grace is sufficient, Paul said. Well, I believe that grace-filled people are gracious people. And we're going to take a look at a top 10 of what does a gracious Christian look like in just a moment. But let me just say this first. Gracious people. Like, you're like, well, it can't be me. First of all, I don't, have the, I don't have the pedigree. I don't have all the backing that everybody else got. So gracious, that's not a word that really describes me. No, no. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. He said that to Paul. It's true for all of us. He will give us what we need in the time of trial. So it's not based on your background. It's not based on the class that you come from. It's like, well, the queen, the queen, she's gracious, but look, she's got, she's got all these people around her. They dress her, they help her, they do all these things, and she just walks out, and she's a picture of a gracious person. It's not based on class. It's not based on your circumstance. It's, it's not some kind of veneer that you put on. When you came to church this morning, when you were in the car, I believe that the devil attacks Christians in the car on the way to church. You too, eh? Yeah, it happens. How gracious were you? How, how were your responses in the car gracious? When the toast burnt on Sunday morning, how gracious were you? When the power went off last night at your house, how many, how many of you had the power go off at your house last night? Just a few. That's good. You people should pay your bills. Then it won't go off at your house. But <laughs> when the power went off, how gracious were you in that circumstance? You couldn't change it. Did you get short with your wife in that? When, how gracious were you? It's not some kind of a veneer that we put on. It's not an entitlement that we have. I think sometimes those are the things that the world would see as being gracious. And so I've picked 10. Uh, there's probably 50, but I've picked 10. And I'm hoping that one or two out of the 10 will just grip you this morning. I don't expect you to go out of here going, oh my goodness, he gave me 10 things. How in the world am I ever going to accomplish that? Just one or two. Allow God to work those into your life today. Now, let me just say this. If the first one is the one for you, it doesn't mean you don't have to listen to the other nine, Okay. Write them down because at some point in your life, they're coming back and you're going to need those things as well. But let's kind of work through 10 things that would demonstrate or be a picture of what a gracious person looks like from the word of God. Here's the first one. A gracious person is a giving person. A gracious person is a giving person. We're going to have a message on generosity right after we're done the Easter series and we're going to go way more into this particular topic. 
But let me just say this. Um, generosity is not about money. It's not about money. Um, there are lots of people who give a lot of money who aren't generous people. Um, so it's not about money. Um, it's not about giving the minimum. Giving is about the surrender of yourself. It's about the surrendering of all. Giving people don't try and just get to the, the bar, but they rather see how they can blow right past the bar. Uh, some verses about this, Acts 20, 35. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Every one of us in this room has currency that we can give. It might not be money, but we have it. And we need to take a look around us in our lives and see where the needs are and how will God allow us to be part of the solution for those people. We need to be people who give. Luke 3 or 6.38 says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In Matthew chapter 6, 21, it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I believe that obviously has uh, application to money, but it's like, what do you treasure? What are the things that are most valuable to you? And what you treasure is a picture of your heart. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Matthew 10, 42. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And in 1 John three seventeen it says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Church, do you see a need? If you walk away from that need, how does that demonstrate the love of Christ abiding in you? Basically, we all have time, talent, and treasure, all of them, all of us. So how are we using those things in giving to the needs of others? How are we giving of our time? How are we using it or do we hoard it to ourselves and, and we keep it? Our talents, the abilities that God has given us, how are we using those giving out? And then our treasures, what we have, how are we using those as people of God? Gracious people are giving people. Here's the second one. And gracious people are compassionate people. Compassionate in word and compassionate in deed. In Colossians 4, 6, in word it says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let your speech always be gracious, Remember I told you to be careful when you use words like never and always and, well, God uses it. He says, let your speech always be gracious. Let it always be gracious. So back to the illustration of coming to church this morning in the car or the way you dealt with an employee or your next door neighbor or 
Were you gracious? Were you a person demonstrating God's unmerited favor to you? Let your speech always be gracious. So we need to be compassionate in our words. For some people, that's much more difficult than others. You have to work hard at it, but the Bible says it, so let's get on that. And then the other thing is compassionate in our works, or indeed, be compassionate in word and in deed. In Titus 2, 7 and 8, it says, show yourself in all respect to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, leaving nothing, having nothing evil to say about us. Good works are more than just good deeds. Good works encompass everything that we are in our conduct before God. Good works is not just about caring for the poor and the sick, although the Bible says, James says, you want to know what true religion is? You want to know what true faith is? It's taking care of needy people. It's taking care of the poor and the widow, and we need to make sure we're doing that. But it's more than that. It's also behaving in a godly way toward each other. Good works is more than giving to the work of the ministry of the church. But it's about loving those who are in it. Yeah, it's important that we give. It's part of God's design. But it's not just about, well, I put my envelope in and so now I can backbite about somebody on my way out the door or I can take a strip off of somebody. It's like, no, 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 that... that that compassion that's done in deeds is more than giving to the work, it's loving those who are in the work as well. Good works is more than distributing Bibles, it's living out what the Word of God says. We've always got a pile of Bibles in the guest reception. If you don't have one, by the way, go by there after the service and get one. They'll give it to you. But I love it when somebody comes to the church, it's their first time here when we come, and, and you ask them, like, do you have a Bible? And they go, we don't have a Bible, we're going to give you a Bible. We're going to give you a Bible. There were two boxes of Bibles that arrived at the church this week so we can give them away. We give them away because people need the word of God. But it's not just about walking around handing out the Bible. Anybody could do that. You could pay somebody $8 an hour. They'd stand at the mall and give out Bibles. Now, that wouldn't be a bad thing. But it's important that when we have that heart and that compassion to do that, we also be people as the word of God is being impressed upon us that we live it out. So that the deeds that we do, the works that we do, demonstrate who Jesus Christ is. We need to be people who are compassionate. Uh, some of you will know this story I'm about to tell you. Uh, some of you won't. But um, this week, um, Ed and uh, Elizabeth Grigorsik have gone through a difficult week. Um, on Wednesday, Ed was supposed to go up to... Um, the hospital in Newmarket to have a little thing done on his foot. And he drove the car, got the car out for Elizabeth to go and get in the car. And she came out the door. I don't know exactly how all this happened, but she slipped and fell and broke her ankle. Screws and pins kind of broke her ankle. And it was in the hospital for a couple of days. Is home now. And how will we show our compassion to them? How will we demonstrate that? Well, there's lots of ways we can do it. We could send them a card or send them some flowers or send them an email or get on a list and send them a meal and we need to be compassionate toward them. 
I said in the nine o'clock service, wouldn't it be cool if Ed got 500 emails from the people in the church this week just saying, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Okay, so here it is, edg at harvestyorkregion.ca. Don't let me down. Compassionate people caring for the need of someone who's in the church. Now, Ed's known. Everybody knows who Ed is. He's on our staff. But, but what about somebody else who's in your small group who has a need and needs you to come alongside and help them? And, and you can do it, and the small group can do it. And the, the people that you hang out with in the church, we can be people who are filled with compassion. And then reaching out outside of our church to the needs that are there. Gracious people are compassionate people. Here's another one. Gracious people, number three, are surrendered people. Gracious people are surrendered people. Um, John, remember, wrote, uh, John the Baptist said about Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. He must be on the increase. He must be more. I must be less. A gracious person is surrendered and is all about exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. In Titus 2, 11 to 14, it says, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great, great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. People of God who are gracious people are people who are surrendered to what God is calling us to do, setting aside our own goals, our own priorities, and looking to what would God have me do? They're humble as part of this surrendered point, they are demonstrated in humility, our surrender. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble person. The grace to the person who is surrendered. The person who's giving up their own agenda for what God would have them do. That is a gracious person. Number four, faithful Gracious people are faithful people. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God has poured gifts out on his church. All of us are gifted and we need to be faithful in using them. The word that I put to tie to faithfulness here is, is patience. Faithfulness is demonstrated in patience, in enduring. I don't give up. I lean in when it gets hard. Uh, soon, I hope really soon, uh, there's a God at work story video that's being made of uh, someone in our church. And it's a story of a cycle of God's goodness and failure, God's goodness and failure, God's goodness and failure. And there were lots of times when people wanted to give up. And probably sometimes we did. And then God had to give us a bit of a tuning and, and now God's done a work of grace faithful, enduring, not giving up. Hey, God didn't give up on you. 70 times seven. Most of us are so far past 70 times seven. God still didn't give up on us. Gracious people are faithful people who endure in patience. They don't give up. Colossians 3.12 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, 
holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Here's number five. Gracious people are real. Gracious people are real. Not hypocrites, not wearing a mask, not trying to impress people. Gracious people are real people. They're not double-minded. Would your, would your family say when you, when you come here, what they see when you come in the building, would they say, yeah, that's not what he's like at home. I don't know who that guy is who comes to church, but he's not like that the rest of the week. Stop it. We don't wear masks. We need to be real. Uh, people need to know that there's a struggle sometimes. They need to feel that our pain as well. And I'm not so proud and arrogant to think that, that you, you would think I don't go through stuff. I go through stuff all the time. Gracious people are people who have people come alongside them and help them when they are weak and they are struggling and they need help as well. They're, they're real. They're not hypocrites. They're not wearing a mask. Gracious people, number six, are forgiving people. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Ready? As God in Christ forgave you. So there's the benchmark. If you want to know, who do I need to forgive? The bar is, as God in Christ forgave you. I like to take that verse, turn it on its head a little bit. It helps me to understand it and say it more like this. Why, why should God forgive me if I'm not willing to forgive the people who are around me? As Christ in God, as God in Christ forgave you. That's the way we're supposed to forgive. No enduring relationships without forgiveness. If you've got a friendship, if you have a relationship, there's going to be failure in it. There's going to be a need for a getting things right. There's going to be a need for forgiveness. Happens in our marriage all of the time. And, and Sue needs to forgive me, and she needs to forgive me, and she needs to forgive me. 70 times 7 times 70 times 7. It just goes on. That's the way it is. Forgiving. Gracious people are forgiving people. And if you're sitting there going, yeah, but you don't understand my thing. You don't understand what happened to me. You don't understand how hard it was. Hey, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You hated God. You were his enemy. And he poured his grace out on you. And he made you alive. And you didn't earn it. And you didn't deserve it. And he forgave you. Gracious people are forgiving people. That might be a journey for you. It might take you some time to get there, but get there. Number um, six, gracious people are loving people. Gracious people are loving people. And one of the great passages in scripture is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging Symbol. So if I stand up here and speak with the tongue of men and angels, but I don't have love, it's just like bong, bong. It's a waste of your time. It's a waste of my time. If I have the prophetic power and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have, the, have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, 
I am nothing. I am nothing. Over in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 14, it, it says this. Let all that you do be done in love. In all that you do be done in love. John 13, 35, you've heard me say this before. By this all people know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, the picture of love, the word that we're talking about here is, is agape love. It's a love that gives, not expecting in return. The, world, the world's love is so cheap because it's always, I'm giving so I will get, I'm giving so I will get, I'm giving so I will get. That's, that's the way love is most demonstrated in our world. But that's not the way love in the Bible is demonstrated. The love that Christ demonstrated was love that he gave. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. He just gave it to you. He gave it to you. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be loving people who love one another, giving, not expecting in return. Now, let me tell you something. The investment you make in people's lives in love will always come back, always come back with a huge benefit. But I tell you this, it might not come back from that person, at least not right away. It might take some time. You may never see it from them, but God will because God will demonstrate his love. He will pour his blessing out on you when we love like he calls us to love. It's the way people know your disciples if you love one another. It's the giving, not expecting in return. But the seventh point of loving is balanced by the eighth point of being truthful. Speak the truth. In John 8, 32, it says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. In Ephesians 4 and uh, verse 15, it says this, rather speak the truth in love. We are growing up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So we're to be loving people, but we're to be loving people who speak the truth. Usually people lean one way or the other. Either you're kind of a love person or you're a truth person. I'm way more of a love person. You just need to understand. I just, my inclination is to sacrifice truth. Other people are the other way. And their inclination is to give you the truth whether you want to hear it or not. And, uh, and both, are, both are wrong at the extremes. It's the balance of love and truth. You see, when I want to love people, I think it's love. It's not really love, but I want to love people. And so I'm all about, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I want everybody to be happy. I don't want anything to get disrupted. And, and so I'm not going to tell them the truth. Okay, let me tell you, that's a lie. That's a lie that I wrestle with all of the time. Just because people aren't mad at you or aren't disappointed at you or feel good about you doesn't mean you've done the right thing. Loving and not telling the truth is hypocrisy. But telling the truth and not loving is brutality. And the sweet spot in the middle is what we'll wrestle with for the rest of our lives. And some of you have to generate the, the energy of, I've got to tell the truth. I've got to tell the truth. I can't let this go by because it's not really loving. It might make me feel more comfortable because I didn't have to deal with it, but that's, it's not loving. It's hypocritical to know the truth about something and not 
tell them. Well, well, I know they need Jesus, but if I tell them, they're going to be upset. Really? They need the Lord. They're going to hell. And you're worried about their feelings? On the other hand, you got that Bible thumper out there, just beat them up. They're bleeding to death with the truth and there's no love. The way people know you're my disciples is by how you love one another. So gracious people are people filled with love and filled with truth and learning to do it in the balance. Two more real quick. The ninth one is that we're imitators. Imitators. We mimic Jesus Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice of God. The things that you read in God's word, the things that you hear when you come to church, just just mimic those things, just do those things. The things that come from the word of God, that's what gracious people do. They mimic the word, they mimic the savior. Number 10, which is really number one. Gracious people understand I can't do this on my own. I can't do this on my own. You need help. You need help to be a gracious person. We're not gracious naturally. We're selfish and prideful and I want my own way. That's what we are naturally. So gracious people need the help of God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I can't do it. This whole gracious thing, I can't do it on my own. You can't. But God will provide. He will supply your every need according to his riches. I think he's got enough. I think what you need, it's in his account. He can make sure you get what you need. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Well, so what? So what? We started out by talking about the first G we talked about was that we'd be people of God who are glorifying God. Last week, we talked about how we do that by growing. Today, we talk about how we do that by being gracious followers of Jesus Christ based on the foundation of who God is, based on what he's done, his grace to save, his grace to help us to get through the things we need. And the reality that um, God's grace is sufficient for whatever the challenge is that you face. So what's the nugget? What's the one or the two things that you would take your notes and put the asterisks beside and say, With God's help, I can't do this on my own, with God's help in that person's life, this is what I'm going to do this week. Don't try and do all 10. Just pick one or pick two and be a gracious person. My grace is sufficient, the Lord told Paul. Whatever you need, whatever you need. Gracious living is a witness, as an example, as a sacrifice to God, Gracious living is a part of God's eternal plan. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray.
authentic followers of Jesus Christ. God, that's what uh, we're desiring. That's what we're going after. We're doing it, Lord, based on who you are and what you've accomplished for us in the cross, what you've accomplished for us in our salvation. And Father, we're seeking to be gracious followers of Jesus Christ because our strength is, our ability is not our own, but your strength in us. So God, would you work in me? Would you work in each person in this room today that we would take one or two of these things where we have seen a weakness in our lives, where we've seen a self-centeredness, a, I'm on the throne here and God, you need to be on the throne here that we would be gracious followers of Jesus Christ, giving glory to you and who you are and all you've done for us. For the person who's here this morning who's never trusted Christ, would you bring them to that place of understanding that your grace it's only your grace that will save. Bring them to the place of trusting Jesus Christ. Do that work in the power of your spirit for your glory. And we'll give you all the praise for what you do in and through us in your church. We pray in Jesus' name.